Hello everybody and welcome to Lessons from the Top, a program that aims to give young people like us a clear vision of the challenges ahead based on the lessons and experiences of successful people. We hope that our program will contribute to giving you the means to realize your dreams and to accomplish your professional life. Today, we are thrilled to have with us Dr. Gerald Fried as our guest on our program. With an impressive background in medicine, Dr. Fried has contributed significantly to the training of surgeons and the introduction of innovation into clinical practice. He established the Minimally Invasive Surgery Program at McGill University in 1990, where he currently holds the positions of Associate Dean of Education Technology and Innovation and Director of the Steinberg Center for Simulation and Interactive Learning. As a former chief surgeon, he has served as president of several major international surgical associations, including the Society of American Gastrointestinal and Endoscopic Surgeons, the Canadian Association of General Surgeons, the Central Surgical Association of James uh, Fourth Associations of Surgeons. So first off, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. First of all, let me just uh, tell you my, my name's pronounced Freed. Even Freed, though sorry. You see it on the menu, you <laughs> think it's called Freed. Sorry. It's, it's free. It's no problem. Good. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about yourself, you know, what projects are you working on right now? Yeah, so um, I, I'm really working on a, on a couple of different areas. Uh, one is the use of extended reality, uh, such as virtual, augmented, and mixed reality in surgical training and education. And the other is the use of um, computer vision, a form of artificial intelligence, in extracting information from surgical videos and using it to improve the quality of surgical care. Good. Amazing. So um, can you describe your current roles a little bit um, as, you know, Associate Dean of Education, Technology and Innovation and also Director of the Steinberg Center for Simulation, Simulation sorry, and Interactive Learning at uh, the McGill University's Faculty of Medicine? Sure. Um, as you said earlier, I was uh, uh, Chief of the Department of Surgery um, both at the university and at the McGill University Health Center for 10 years. And um, I finished my term in uh, December of 2019 and was thinking, okay, what do I do for the next phase of my career? I've been practicing for uh, almost 40 years and um, was looking for, for something that I, that, that I could do that was impactful, uh, but different and met with the dean and we discussed uh, some things that I was interested in and some things that the faculty needed, and we came up with this, uh, this dual role. So we run a simulation center, which um, trains 18,000 uh, healthcare learners a year, which is one of the biggest uh, simulation centers in the world. And I, I have the privilege of uh, directing that center. And um, at the deanery level, I uh, advise the, uh, the various uh, deans for undergraduate, postgraduate education, continuing medical education on the use of some of the emerging technologies that, uh, that are useful in, um, in medical and uh, health sciences education. And what exactly motivated you to pursue a career in medicine and how did you develop an interest in surgical education and innovation? I probably could talk about that for an hour, but I won't. Uh, you know, I, I think um, I, I was interested in medicine from many different points of view. I was fascinated by the biology of, uh, of life, of the biology of humans, um, understanding what made people um, ill, and then uh, trying to do something to improve people's lives and the quality of life. I think everybody looks to do something in terms of your work, but if you could do something that um, 
is uh, good for other people and good for yourself and fulfills a uh, kind of a, a, a desire that you have deep inside you, then that's kind of the ideal job. And uh, medicine has been uh, an incredible, incredible career. Um, I developed a, an interest in education a little bit by accident. Um, I was a, a pretty busy surgeon. And um, at one time in my career, I was appointed to be the director of uh, general surgical training at McGill. And one of the people um, who was training to be a surgeon wanted to do a, a master's degree in, in um, experimental surgery under my guidance and wanted to do it in education. And although I, I taught, I really was never involved in the formal uh, training in education like a teacher would be. Uh, so we decided that we would pursue it. And it was at a time when uh, minimally invasive surgery had just begun and we had responsibility to train surgeons from all over the world in this new technique. So it, it, I got interested in uh, how do you train surgeons to be um, safe and effective and how do you measure their performance to ensure that before they go out and practice that they are actually safe at, at what they do. So that's what got me interested in, in education. Innovation is a whole new thing. I think it, innovation um, is uh, an opportunity to look at what you're doing and ask yourself, how could I do it better? And what do I need to do it better? And obviously in the last, in my lifetime, and I'm sure in your lifetime, technology um, has, has developed at an incredible rate. And the question always is to look at the technology and ask how you could harness it. How could you use it? to um, align with your own goals. And in surgery, the goals are to provide all the benefits of surgery, you know, to, to cure people of their illnesses, uh, make their quality of life better, but to harm them less because surgery, no one wants to have an operation because you're terrified of the pain and the scarring and the recovery period. So if we could use technology to our benefit, to provide the benefits of surgery without the, the, the risks and the bad side of it, then, then it's something that we want to harness. Amazing. Um, and, you know, as, as a leading expert in surgical edu education, you know, sur surgery in general is a massive field and there's a lot of different uh, aspects involved in it. What would you say are the key competencies and attributes that you believe are essential for surgeons to achieve excellence in their field? It's a very good question. Um, surgery, it, it's hard. It, I mean, it, it's a challenging life. You're, you're, uh, you work long and uh, long hours, you work weekends and nights very frequently, there are emergencies that occur. Um, in order to be able to, um, to really enjoy that as a career and not resent it from taking time out of the rest of your life, you really have to have a true deep enthusiasm and understanding that what you do is really, really important, not only for you, but for the other people. Um, I, I think the, um, the competencies that we look for in a surgeon are, are people that have this this burning desire to, to do something important, mm -hmm. but also a sense of ownership and responsibility. Because when a person comes to you and signs their consent to have an operation, there's a huge responsibility that you're taking. Um, they're, they'll go to sleep, they leave their body in your hands. And if you, if you don't have that sense of responsibility and ownership, then uh, you're not fulfilling your responsibility as a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And is it stressful to do your first operation or is it still, you know, stressful now? I think if you didn't feel some a stress when you're doing it, then you don't care. 
And you could, you know, if you ask a performer, whether they're a, a musician or an athlete or a dancer or whatever a, a performer uh, does, they are, you know, they're stressed. They have the performance anxiety to some, some extent. I think in surgery, um, it is important that you really care that, that the person that you are operating on is a human being. They're, uh, you know, they have a family around them. Uh, what you do to them matters and that you should care deeply uh, that what you do is the best you possibly can do. However, you don't want, you need to have a certain sense of confidence. You don't want the anxiety to cripple you from, um, from being able to perform at your best. And that trade-off, I think, in any field of performance is very important. Interesting. And um, would you say that acquiring that confidence takes a long time? Because I'm assuming when you're starting off, just like a lot of uh, fields where you have a big responsibility, um, you're always going to be stressed a little bit at the beginning. And then even while you're doing it, when, when you're performing surgery, I'm assuming it's like the first few times uh, and, or like the first year of your career, for example, it's going to be stressful. How long do you think it takes until you feel comfortable and confident that you're going to perform an amazing surgery? I think everybody is different and um, the demands of the different operations that we do are quite varied, but the system is really designed to ensure that people have uh, mentorship, that they have someone to assist them as they start to develop their, their surgical skills. And that's why it takes so long for a surgeon to, to train. You, you have, you know, four years of medical school, you have five to seven or eight years of uh, what we call residency where you are, mm -hmm practicing surgery in a, in a supervised environment. We have simulation labs, we have virtual reality. We have many different situations that we put people in that give them um, the opportunity to develop their skills, but also their comp competence and their confidence in, um, you know, under stress. Mm -hmm. And um, with that, what advice would you give to a medical student or an aspiring surgeon going through the this education system who's aspiring to succeed in the area of this specialization? Well, the first thing is that uh, you will, you will find that it's not all easy. I mean, there are times where you're going to ask yourself, is it worth it? Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit like training for, for anything, right? You know, sometimes you're exhausted. Um, you kind of physically say, I can't stay up any longer, but yeah. you, you need to do that. And so you need to have a great uh, deal of internal strength uh, and um, and a sense of uh, of responsibility because you know what you do in in surgery um, it, as I said earlier it, it, you are responsible for somebody else and you cannot if, if you don't feel that you're willing to give that d degree of uh, responsibility to your work then then you should choose something else and there are many different fields of of medicine that, that you know, require different amounts of ownership. Mm -hmm. But the but the pleasure and the satisfaction you get uh, when you take care of someone and, and you do something well for them or save their life, uh, there is no equal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, um, the technology is probably a big part, you know, of medicine nowadays. And, you know, in your opinion, what is the impact of technology and innovation on and, and on enhancing, sorry, surgical outcomes, and how do you envision these fields evolving in the years? Because technology is rapidly evolving nowadays. Right. Well, technology is pervasive. It's all around us, right? It, um, and you could look at any any field of endeavor, whether you're 
you know, um, if you're an athlete, you could look at the equipment that, that has developed over time. You could learn to, the training that has uh, evolved over time. Uh, same thing in medicine. Individuals will vary a great deal. And uh, it, it, just like in other performance fields, surgeons will, will vary in terms of their skills and in, in different things that are required to be done in the course of an operation. What technology is able to do to some extent is to decrease the variability um, and, and particularly the variability at the bottom and people that are underperforming in certain aspects of an operation. I could give you an example. So when I first started in surgery, when we wanted to connect to two pieces of bowel, for instance, we had to take out a piece of bowel for cancer and we had to join the two ends together. We would sew that. And, um, you know, sometimes that's, that's difficult because the bowel may be in a position that's hard to get at. It's hard to see. You're doing it partly by feel. Um, and there would be a variability. So if you don't do it very well, the connection would leak. People would get infection, they would die. And some people would take a long period of time to sew two pieces of bowel together, other people um, faster. And a real virtuoso, they could do it with their eyes closed, left hand, right hand, and, and do it quickly and efficiently, but not everybody has that skill. So technology uh, was developed to be able to sew two pieces of bowel together using staplers, basically titanium staples. And they could be... Um, Put in every staple is is exactly the same distance apart. Whereas you know when you sew, there may be a little bit of variability. It's the same tightness, and it allowed surgeons to be able to connect bowel with a higher degree of reliability, and that really improved the skill level of people that were on the maybe on the bottom end of the skill level. There are many other examples of things that that we now use to. Um, to stop bleeding, for instance, new types of energy like lasers and different types of electricity, ultrasound that we could use where in, in the past we had to you know, sew up these structures. So uh, technology in many areas have made it uh, easier and more efficient to operate, but also decreased the variability from person to person. Interesting. Um, yeah, great. So we're going to switch subject a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about your experience as the president of the Society of uh, American Gastrointestinal. So when you worked in that field and the endoscopic surgeons, uh, the SAGS, um, how did that, uh, how did your experiences in those fields inform, evolve, or inspire your work uh, in educal, sorry, in surgical education and research? Well, uh, special societies are organizations that bring together people with similar interests and, um, and you know, to share information, knowledge, skills, et cetera, network. And in, in the field that I was uh, working in clinically, which was called minimally invasive surgery for the digestive system, the most important organization in the English-speaking world was SAGES. SAGES now has about 7,000 members uh, from around the world. Um, it, it's an organization out of the United States, and up until that point in time, they've never had a non-American uh, lead the organization. Um, so first of all, I was very proud to be selected by my colleagues from around the world to lead the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in, in the role as president, there's an opportunity for you to advance the field by, by really impacting policy, um, different ways of, uh, of training, um, directions of research, et cetera. So for me, one of the things that was really important, as I said earlier, was to ensure that surgeons that practice 
uh, minimally invasive surgery had the knowledge and skills to do it safely before they went out and practiced. And I had developed in, in my work at McGill uh, a simulator to, um, to be used as a test to ensure people were able to, to, to do these skills uh, well. Working with SAGES and uh, also with the American College of Surgeons, another large surgical organization, which I also had the, the privilege of leading, we were able to um, bring this uh, essentially to surgeons around the world and to make this a required part of the certification of surgeons in order to get a license to, to act the surgery. So um, it was a very, um, you know, really great opportunity. Um, there are other, uh, other things that I was able to contribute also in my role as an organization, but that's a good example. Interesting. And, you know, you've probably had a lot of complex cases, but can you maybe tell me uh, one of them and how did you overcame it? Uh, I, you know, there are probably many cases that come to mind when I think about it, but probably the one that I will never forget was um, when I was maybe in my mid thirties. So you know, relatively early in my surgical career, uh, a man about the same age as me came to me um, and with the diagnosis of gallstones and I was going to operate on him to take out his inflamed gallbladder and found that he had a very rare tumor of the liver. And that tumor had, at operation, had grown into one of his vital uh, uh, blood vessels um, called the, um, the the portal vein, where all the blood from the kind of from the abdominal organs go to get filtered by the liver. And that th this vessel is, you know, essential for life. And his tumor was growing into it. And uh, you know, normally I, I think you would back out and say that this is not an operable tumor and you would just close. But I was, I just felt that uh, I wanted to give this uh, man every chance, even though I didn't know whether by being more aggressive, it would be futile or, or effective. And I removed his tumor, tumor completely. I um, removed uh, part of the, this main blood vessel. Then I took another blood vessel and I made it into uh, basically uh, replacement and sewed it to his current blood vessel to reconstruct the, the blood um, supply to the liver. And the operation took about 12 hours or so. I think it's one of the longest operations I ever did. And ultimately, um, he survived and, um, uh, you know, uh, lived cancer-free for a long period of time. So uh, probably that the case that I will never forget, and um, just one of those opportunities, you know, where you uh, have to be creative and resourceful, and dig deep, deep inside, and uh, and try to persist. Uh, so that's probably the thing that the case that re uh, resonates with me the most. And it must be nice, you know, after twelve hours, Matt finally managing it to be like, yeah, we're done, and you know, you know, see it, the patient is okay and stuff. I feel like that's probably, you know, amazing for you to, you know, just know that you made it. And yeah, um, George. Yeah, no, I was actually going to ask a question. Um, when it comes to, you know, uh, successfully operating someone that's uh, in a case where it seems really futile, where it seems really dangerous and risky, you know, obviously, it, like you said earlier, it feels amazing. Um, but I'm assuming being a surgeon also has some effects on like, 
maybe your mental health in a way because sometimes you're a little really stressed when it comes to you know you have a surgery in a week or tomorrow or something like do you feel like uh, or have you met any surgeons or have you experienced uh, a case where you felt a lot of anxiety or a lot of stress or a lot of um uh, emotions where it altered your mood in the, like the rest of your life because of the responsibilities you had uh, being a surgeon i think it's a very good question uh, george you know it not everything um, goes well in surgery and, and every surgeon over their career will have complications that uh, they will never forget. Mm-hmm. And it, it, if it doesn't um, bother you a, a lot, then you're probably not in the right field, right? I, I said earlier, you have to really care yes. and understand that every person under your care is uh, your responsibility. And um, no one is perfect and you will have complications and those complications eat away at you. Uh, to, and some, you know, some people, uh, they, they bother you so much that you, you can't get back on the horse, so to speak, and, and, and try again. It, it really, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's very hard to deal with. And we're not very good at, um, at seeking help and, and uh, counsel for, for these moments because, you know, we, uh, I think surgeons have huge egos and they don't want to show uh, their vulnerability. Although, fortunately, nowadays, I think people are are wiser about their own mental health. But um, it is, you know, it, it is a, uh, an environment where you have huge highs when you do these things that are wonderful for people and they, they, they really appreciate what you do and you appreciate your skill. And then you have moments where things should go well. And, you know, by all statistics, uh, you shouldn't have a complication, but you do have a complication. And it may be your fault. It, it may be that you did something technically wrong. It may be that someone had has a heart attack after surgery that due to heart disease you didn't know existed and they die. Uh, but in any case, you know, uh, you, you um, have to deal with that. And I think having um, colleagues that you can discuss the case with in, a, in an open way and, uh, you know, and get support for this is, is hugely important. Uh, and we're only now learning about the importance of having a strategy for wellness and, you know, having people around you that, that support you, that, uh, that's critical. Mm-hmm. And in a day of like a surgeon, how much, you know, surgery do you do? Because you said last time one was the biggest was like 12 hours, but you do like maybe some three hours, three hours, three hours, or some of them are just all day long or how does it work exactly? Well, normally you get, uh, at least in, in the places where I work, you get block uh, OR time. So that is you get a, a block of time that's allocated to you on each of your operating room days. And most of those days are about eight hours long. So say from about eight to four. And you would uh, schedule uh, the number of cases that would fit in that time frame. And depending on the type of work that you do. So, um, you know, most of the operations that I did over my career were between, say, one and a half to three hours. So uh, usually, you know, you would choose the cases that you would do according to, to, to that time frame. If you're, you, you know, if you're very overscheduled, sometimes a, a case will get canceled and no one likes cases to get canceled. So, uh, we, you know, we try our best to be responsible when we, we schedule because we know the usual time that, that every case uh, is. And um, so I, I think it depends. I mean, if you do open heart surgery, the cases will take longer than if you do hernia surgery or hand surgery, for instance. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. And um, how would you say that 
your your work as a surgeon has impacted your work ethic in other aspects of your life and is that something that you teach when you're uh, educating about the subject um I, you know, I think that the biggest challenge is what we call work-life balance or work-life integration, yeah. uh, because yes, we're surgeons, but we're also, you know, uh, husbands, wives, you know, uh, children, uh, parents, yeah. et cetera. And so you have many responsibilities in your life. And I think that, uh, you know, scheduling your life so that you have um, this, this type of uh, balance is really important. It's important to your mental health. Um, so it, it's a challenge, and I think increasingly we are talking a, about that. On one hand, you have to be responsible to the patients, and if, if there's a complication, you have to be responsive to the needs of the patient. But also we work together in teams very frequently so that um, we share the uh, on-call responsibilities. We, you know, we cover for each other so you can take vacations and you know, go to important life events. So I, I think that that's... Um, you know, that's getting much, much better now. We're much more conscious about that. And I think that that's, you know, one of the things we try to explain to our, our students is that if you don't have balance in your life, then you will often resent your work. You, you, you know, it, if you feel that every time you want to do something for yourself personally, your work is in the way, then you will start to resent your work and you won't be as as good. So it's it's important to try to um, figure it out, so to speak, so that you you uh, have pleasure both in your professional life, but also in your personal life. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like just like anything, um, especially when you're a surgeon and you're doing like long hour shifts uh, or you're doing multiple surgeries in one day, it's in, it's important to have a good work life balance because you have other you know responsibilities in your life. Yeah. Um, so you know, looking back on your professional journey, what are the most significant accomplishments and aspirations that you hold for the future, and that? you're always going to remember? Well, I, I think um, accomplishments, I, I, I think um, I would like to believe that I've been an innovator. I've changed the way surg surgery has been practiced, particularly with the introduction of um, image-guided surgery uh, in Canada, um, that I've uh, you know, played a role in teaching the next generation and every person that you teach is a part of your legacy. You know, they will mm -hmm. carry your, your lessons with them and, and the people that they teach. Um, I, I think uh, my legacy to some extent was leadership, changing the way a surgical care is uh, practiced um, around the world as a result of, uh, you know, some of the things that I've done. Uh, but I think the biggest um, accomplishment is, is each of the patients that I that I remember who I cared for, who came to me in need and uh, left with, uh, you know, their health and their life being a little bit better as a result of, of the surgery that I was able to do. And sometimes it's not just a surgery. It's, it's just supporting them, uh, helping through uh, difficult times and uh, giving them uh, good advice. And I think that that's, that's as good a legacy uh, as, as I could ask for. And I think the aspiration for the future would be that every person that I, taught um uh feel that the lessons i gave them were valuable and that they carry them through their career and are better doctors as a result of uh of my teaching yeah amazing and over the course of your career um which colleague or partner has had the most profound influence on your work and what qualities did they possess that inspired you so i, I would say the best colleagues and partners 
that impacted me were actually my students. And uh, why? Because um, students keep you on your toes. They keep you up to date. They keep you enthusiastic about their work. And they are your legacy that you leave behind um, who will, and the people that will take care of me when I, when I need uh, care. And this very special students are the people that, um, uh, that really had a, a true appreciation for the profession that they are entering, the responsibilities and the joys of that profession. Um, and that had the uh, personal, not only the skills, but the personal qualities as human beings that uh, will make them um, good doctors. And, and, and as I said, I, I learned from their personalities, from their approach to life um, a great deal. So I, I think it was my students. Well, and, you know, thank you for being here today, taking your time to be with us. Uh, me and George really appreciate it. And uh, we learned a lot, to be honest, about, you know, surgeon and medicine field. So, uh, yeah, thank you again for being here today. Yeah, thank you for your time. And uh, to our listeners, well, be ready for next exclusive interview with former Quebec Minister of Finance, Nicolas Marceau, next week. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye now.